For what he did was very wrong. When he first arrived, he ate with the Gentile Christians, who were not circumcised. But afterwards, when some friends of James came, Peter wouldn't eat with the Gentiles anymore. He was afraid of criticism from those people who insisted on the necessity of circumcision. As a result, other Jewish Christians followed Peter's hypocrisy, and even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. When I saw that they were not following the truth of the gospel message, I said to Peter in front of all the others, Since you, a Jew by birth, have discarded the Jewish laws and are living like a Gentile, why are you now trying to make these Gentiles follow the Jewish traditions? You and I are Jews by birth, not sinners like the Gentiles. Yet we knew that a person is made right with God by faith in Jesus Christ, not by obeying the law. And we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we might be made right with God, because our faith in Christ, not because we have obeyed the law. For no one will ever be made right with God by obeying the law. But suppose we seek to be made right with God through faith in Christ, and then we are found guilty because we have abandoned the law. Would that mean Christ has led us to sin? Absolutely not. Rather, I am a sinner, and if I rebuild the old system of law, I already tore down. For when I tried to keep it, the law, it condemned me, so I died to the law. I stopped trying to meet all its requirements so that I might live for God. My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God, who, lived, who loved me and gave himself for, for me. I do not treat the grace of God as meaningless, for if keeping the law can make us right with God, then there was no need for Christ to die. Thank you, Sammy. Sammy was one of the students that took up the challenge to hand copy the book of Galatians uh, last year among the student ministry. And I uh, just want to encourage you to do it as well. Uh, get out the book of Galatians, go through it while we're going through this series together. And uh, maybe, you, maybe it's a new way to read God's Word. You hand copy your own copy of it and give it to your kids someday. I don't know what you would do with it, but it's still, it's another way to hide God's Word in our heart. And uh, being in a series in the book of Galatians, it's going to get harder the farther we go in for me to catch up everything, because uh, I want to be mindful of your time. So I want to encourage you, if you, you haven't been here the first several weeks in the book of Galatians, to grab your Bible. If you don't have one, we have some New Testaments back over there if you'd like to grab one, uh, and read Read what we've talked about, and then maybe go online, and if you want to watch the sermons or the podcasts or whatever, but, but to stay a part of this journey, because this book is shocking, and it shocks the church in a way to where we wake up to all that we actually have in Christ. Uh, and so in, in chapter 2, where we're jumping in this morning, um, Paul has actually gotten the okay from the apostles to continue preaching to the Gentiles this message of salvation by faith alone. That's the message that he was like, this is what we have to say. We have to say it, and we have to do it. We have to tell everybody, Jews, Gentiles. If you're not a Jew, you're a Gentile. You and I, most of us in this room, would be Gentiles because we are not Jewish. But if you're Jewish, you're, you're Jewish and Gentile. You get it? It makes sense. You're either a Jew or a Gentile. And that's where we're at in this picture. Uh, and so what Paul is saying, regardless of where you come from or your background, salvation is found in Christ alone. That is the only good news and what was happening was there were these false teachers coming into the, the, to the Galatian church, and they were telling them that that's not, that's not really true. Jesus is good, but there's still all these things you need to add to your faith, and for you to be complete and right before God, you got this list of works you got to keep doing. And so that's why circumcision is mentioned, uh, the law is mentioned, it's all these things that the Jews understood 
Circumcision was this thing that you did. It was this physical act that separated you among the people as God's people. And, and, and Paul's having to tell this, this group of people, the Gentiles, who were not familiar with the Jewish customs, the Jewish laws, the Jewish traditions, that, hey, it's salvation through faith. And so he was trying to make sure with the apostles that what he was saying was legit, and he gets this okay, this thumbs up. And then he continues in his message, his letter to the, Gentile, or to the, to the Galatian church, he kind of takes a turn because it's not just to everybody that he's talking. He actually has to do some house cleaning. And he has to talk directly to Peter. Peter the apostle, the one who walked on water, the one who was, was you know, Christ, you're awesome and I'll die for you. And, don't, and Jesus is like, no, get behind me, Satan, because you're trying to tell me not to go die on the cross. And Peter was the dude who was always full of energy and he would always stick his foot in his mouth. Peter, the one who denied Jesus and was accepted back by Jesus... And Peter, the one who, who would also die for his faith as well. So Paul had to do some, some business face-to-face with a guy who was kind of tweaking the gospel message. And so we pick up in Galatians chapter 2, verse 11. It says, But when Peter came to Antioch, I had to oppose him to his face, for what he did was very wrong. When he first arrived, he ate with the Gentile Christians who were not circumcised. But afterwards, when some friends of James... Uh, James is one of the apostles in the Jerusalem church. He's actually Jesus' half-brother. So, like, Jesus had, had brothers and sisters, but we call them half-brothers because Joseph was not Jesus' dad. He was his stepdad, if you will. And that's awesome. Joseph filled the role. But when James was a brother of Jesus, and James was also one of the leaders of the Jerusalem church, and so he was a Jew and lived by the Jewish customs. And so we have Peter, who is also Jewish, being influenced by some friends of James that come in and kind of catch him sitting with Gentiles. And so he continues, Peter wouldn't eat with the Gentiles anymore. He was afraid of criticism from these people who insisted on the necessity of circumcision. As a result, other Jewish Christians followed Peter's hypocrisy, and even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. Now, it's interesting that Paul doesn't choose to write an open letter to Peter. It's interesting that Paul doesn't choose to write a blog about Peter. It's interesting that he doesn't say, I'll send him a quick text or an email and just kind of let him know that what he's doing. He says, no, I have to confront him to his face. Man, if the church would do this, I think we would find ourselves in so much of a better position. All we like to do is write open letters to people, hoping that they'll find out. And then Christians on this side of the picture and Christians on this side of the picture yell at the person who wrote the, the open letter. I just don't get it. I don't get it. Sometimes I feel like if we would just confront each other to each other's faces when we know that there's something at stake, that something is wrong, I think we'd save ourselves lots of drama. But Paul, this is his way of doing things, and so I'm glad he does it this way. But Paul is setting up for Peter that there are going to be lots of distractions from the gospel. And this week I saw this video, and I'm t- this may just be letting you in on the way Jason's brain works. But I was like, this is exactly, this video that you're about to watch is exactly what is going on in my own heart when I'm trying to pursue Christ. Just watch, and you'll, hopefully you'll make the connection. Esimerkiksi saa heti vainun siitä, että lähellä on lenkkimakkara. No, 
Kupeasti Esme menee koko houkutusten highwayn. Ei epäröi. Sometimes we have to be drugged across the finish line, I guess. Um, <laughs> but this, uh, in effect, I mean, and this is the way my brain works. I'm telling you, maybe letting you in on a little too much on how my brain works. But there are distractions galore when it comes to being veering from what the true gospel is. And I, I absolutely relate to that dog. <laughs> that, that start gun goes off, and I'm, what's that over there? What's this? This is shiny. I think I like this. And Jesus is just... I don't know how it all works, but I do know the distractions abound. And Paul is really going to give Peter a hint on several things that, that they are distractions from the gospel, but I also think they are distractions that will happen as a result of forgetting about the gospel. And there's a couple of them. The first one, which was clear, is hypocrisy. I mean, good gravy. How many times have you had a conversation with someone who said, I don't need to go to church because the church is full of, you know it, don't say it very loud, but you know it, hypocrites. And, and, And I have to be clear on what a hypocrite is because a hypocrite is not someone who says something and then does another thing. Christians are not the only ones on the planet who have intentions of doing one thing and then end up doing something else. That's humanity. That is just how the human condition works. A hypocrite in Roman days did not have a negative connotation to it. A hypocrite was an actor. Someone who stands on a stage, memorizes lines, does a character, and then is someone else off stage. They're themselves. Now, you and I have both probably had those shocking moments when you see this character in a movie and you're like, that character is awesome. And then you see them in an interview spouting their personal opinions and you're like, they are not as awesome as I thought they were. (laughs) But what Paul is saying to Peter is, Peter, your hypocrisy, you're being one person with these guys and then being another person with these guys is not just your names in trouble, the gospel is in trouble. Because you've told them that it's salvation through faith alone in Christ, not by the law. And you're living among the Gentiles, not living by the Jewish laws and customs. You're eating foods that the Gentiles would eat, not that the Jews would eat. And you're sitting with them. But then when James's buddies show up, which we don't even know if they were actually his friends, you get scared. And you want to go back and do the things with them because you're afraid of what they would think. So hypocrisy is a result of not knowing the gospel, not necessarily holding to it in every area of your life. The second one, which is a little more obvious, is the fear of man. Fear of man is a result of not really believing that 
that our identity and our approval is found in Christ. The fear of man got on Peter, and so he was willing to go, you know what, I don't necessarily know if I can do this with the Gentiles anymore, I've got to go over here. I've got to live for their approval. Peter was a guy who lived and struggled and wrestled with the approval of man. I'm so glad that Peter is in the Bible. (laughs) I am so glad that Peter's failures are recorded for us. I'm going to go to him when I see him, and I'm going to say, thank you for screwing up as bad as you did. (laughs) It helps me know that there is hope, even for me. Peter was a guy who wrestled with being big and brash and bold in front of the disciples But then the question of a little girl of, you're one of his followers, caused him to cower and say, no, I don't know him. So the fear of man is a direct result to not necessarily knowing all that we've been given in Christ. And the final one, and this is one that is, it may not be as clear, but I feel we have to talk about it because the scripture points to it, and it's racism. Racism is something that that when you look at this, the Jews had this idea of a superiority to all the nations around them. And Paul actually goes into it a little bit in verses 14 and 15. When I saw that they were not following the truth of the gospel message. Notice, Paul's saying, when I saw that they were missing the gospel message. It's not that he was like looking at their their, behavior and all these different things, although the behavior is addressed. The core of the issue is they were not walking in the gospel message. I said to Peter in front of all the others, since you, a Jew by birth, have discarded the Jewish laws and are living like a Gentile, why are you now trying to make these Gentiles follow these Jewish traditions. You and I are Jews by birth, not sinners like the Gentiles. Now, I want to give you a little bit of background about my life, and I want to show you a picture, and it's humbling and humiliating, and I get that, all that, all that, that's fine. But I want to show you a picture of me in high school. All right? And this is one of my best friends from high school. Shay, you would know him. Um, This is one of my best friends from high school. But here's the thing. This is, I think this might be my junior year. Tall, skinny, dark skin, shaved head. I used to bick my head, razor bick. You can take that picture off there now. Get it out of there. <laughs> Remove it, thank you. Um, <laughs> let's see what's happening here. All right. Now, four years in high school, I had the same guidance counselor. My background, and just so you know, my mom is half Japanese. My dad is just a big white guy, all right? Um, I'm a quarter Japanese. That is what I am. And I love it. I love that. I love all the connections and finding out about my grandmother's life in Japan. I love all of those things. Four years under the same guidance counselor in high school, she asked me three weeks before graduation if me and my dad would like to be in the 100 Black Men of Atlanta march. I didn't have the heart to tell her I wasn't black. I said, um... I just, I can't. I got something on that weekend. Uh, But if me and my dad had shown up at this march, we would have been laughed at, okay? But my whole life, people have asked me with such ethnic sensitivity questions of like, what are you? Like, this is how you get asked what you are when you look like Jason in high school. People would say, my wife thought I was African-American when she met me. Like, this is what, it's one of those things. I have been, um, in middle school, I got asked the questions by, by some girls. They would be like, are you Japan? And I'm like, am I the entire country of Japan? No, I'm Japanese. Um, I have had people say, um, what is your 
country of origin. I have had people say, what is your national background? I mean, people try to be so sensitive. I've been confused for Native American, uh, Hawaiian, uh, Filipino. Uh, No one ever guesses Japanese. All all of the things. I mean, I was getting a haircut several weeks ago, and the woman starts cutting my hair, and she says, my husband is also Native American. (laughs) Like, just starts right into it. Like, I... I didn't even ask me what I, you know, anything about who I was. Just my husband is also Native American. And so I have experienced this spectrum of what is Jason? And I get it. And I'm fine with that. And I love it. And I do not take offense to any of the questions at all. I've experienced the, 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 the good things of being assumed a certain race. When my wife and I were traveling, we were in the Dakotas and we were at a Native American tribal council meeting. We were sitting among them. And I'm sitting there, and we're kind of, I'm kind of losing interest in the meeting, and I'm just kind of sitting there, and, and uh, apparently the, the chief stands up and points at me and says, you, the one who looks Sue, stand up. And I'm sitting here going, I'm looking over here, and somebody actually has to tap me on the shoulder and like, Jason, he's talking to you. <laughs> me? Like, what are you talking about? And uh, Me? Okay. Uh, you know, you stand up. When, when the chief asks you to stand up, you stand up. And so I stood up, and, and he was like, you. Are you Sue? And I was like, uh, do, should I be? <laughs> you know, I mean, it really was that. And I was like, no, I explained to him. And he was like, come here. And so I come up. And anyways, because he assumed I was, he was like willing to let me come stay in his house. He wanted me to help with all this stuff. He asked me to leave this basketball camp. He gave me all this opportunity because of what he assumed about who I was. But I've also experienced the other end, the negative side of being assumed a certain race. My wife and I were driving home from Wichita, Kansas before we were married, and I was bringing her back to Atlanta, and we decided to go a southern route, and we went through Alabama. And uh, we were on some back roads, and I got pulled over, and, you know, obviously looking as I did in that picture, and my wife sitting there, a blonde-haired white girl, and we, I, got, I got pulled over, and it was a pretty intense encounter. The cop was very aggressive, and he um, took things from, he took my license from me and walked away, and three and four other cop cars came up behind us. And it was an aggressive, intense moment, and he threw my license back at me and said, I thought your seatbelt was undone. And I looked at my wife and I was like, What just happened here? Like, I don't get this. Now, I'm not saying that I, and please hear me out, I do not claim to have experienced any of the same level of racism that many in our country have experienced, but I'm aware of our tendencies to judge based upon race. And that's what's happening here. And this is where the gospel message speaks loud and clear. And we have to understand this. Paul was upset with Peter not for eating with the Gentiles. In fact, this was a beautiful picture of the gospel, that Peter was able to set aside his race and his heritage and all of these things and sit with the people group who were nothing like him. This is what the gospel does. This is what the good news does. It breaks down all of the barriers that we as humans set up. What Paul was upset about Peter for was you stepping away builds another wall. And in fact, you're trying to let them know that there's two kinds of gospels, one for the Jews and one for the Gentiles. And that is not the case. And Paul doesn't hit Peter with a, you should know better either. He doesn't go, you should know better. He actually reminds him of who he is. In verses 15 and 16, he says, You and I are Jews by birth, not sinners like the Gentiles. We understand that there's something unique about our relationship to God and God choosing us. Yet. Verse 16 starts with yet. 
We know that a person is made right with God by faith in Christ, not by obeying the law. And we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we might be made right with God because of our faith in Christ, not because we have obeyed the law, for no one will ever be made right with God by obeying the law. To remain someone who sees race as superior to someone else's is to not understand the gospel. And that's across the board. To see, to see someone as su- superior or lesser to because of race is a direct contradiction to the gospel. And unfortunately, the church has gotten that wrong in a lot of ways. The most segregated day in America, Sunday. Right? And that breaks my heart. Because that means there are some, some man-made walls that have not come down because of an understanding of all we have in Christ. Now, Paul actually has to address this several times. Um, and let me say this before, and I feel like I have to say this, because race is sacred to God. I need you to know that. I need you to know that he created us unique in, in the way we are for a reason, and it's absolutely sacred and in the end time, and all things are wrapped up, and God brings a closure to this, this side of eternity, every tribe, tongue, race, nation will be represented around his throne. So it's not as if when we enter into eternity, we're all going to look the same. Apparently, there's something unique about everything that God has done and put in us from the very beginning. And so I'm not saying that race is not important. In fact, it is important, but Paul's saying there's something more important. In Colossians chapter 3, in this new life, it doesn't matter if you are a Jew or a Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free. Christ is all that matters and he lives in all of us. In 1 Corinthians 12, some of us are Jews, some are Gentiles, some are slaves and some are free, but we have all been baptized into one body by one spirit and we all share that same spirit. What is most important is that the divisions that used to separate us, birthright, race, socioeconomic, um, philosophies on life, where we're at in this or that, whatever it is, they've all been torn down because of what Christ has done, not anything. And it's remembering that we have been justified freely by Christ and made right with God because of what Jesus has done that we can see those walls come down. You and I... We know, and Paul goes into that. He says, we know, we've experienced the mercy and grace of Christ. Peter, you of all people should know the mercy that has been extended to you. I mean, good grief. You did everything you could not to be counted as one of Jesus' disciples, and Jesus' love for you would not relent. Good grief, man. You know what Christ has gone through to reach you. Don't forget that. Now, This is where the transition kind of happens in in our text this morning. Because there are Judaizers, the people who say you need to add to the works of the law, you need to add to salvation the works of the law, they were actually afraid of something. And they were afraid that if Paul's message of the gospel really got out, then people would respond with, all right, no law, it's just Jesus, I can have a sin party! (laughs) Like they were afraid of this. And so Paul responds in verses 17 and 18 as he begins to confront this argument. But suppose we seek to be made right with God through faith in Christ, 
And then we are found guilty because we have abandoned the law. Would that mean Christ has led us into sin? Absolutely not. Rather, I am a sinner if I rebuild the old system of law I already tore down. Paul was answering the criticism of too much Jesus will make people sin. That's what he's answering. I mean, these people were saying out loud, ultimately, you give people the message of Jesus and faith and Christ alone, and they're going to choose sinful pleasures every time. Because I got Jesus. That makes it all good. And Paul begins to confront this argument. He's like, guys, do you, you're not even following with what I'm saying here. And he continues as he um, points out how this actually works. In Romans chapter 7, Paul would spend most of his life trying to help the church understand how the law works and how grace works. And if you've been a Christian who's walked with an idea that it's kind of a balance between the law and grace, it's not. You need to know that it's not a balance between law and grace. You need to know that the mercy and grace of God has shattered the scale. There is no longer a scale of law and grace. It's all God's mercy. It's all God's grace. It's all his rescue. But Paul would spend his life helping people know why the law is important. And in Romans chapter 7, he says, So my dear brothers and sisters, this is the point. You died to the power of the law when you died with Christ. And now you are united with the one who has raised from the dead. As a result, we can produce a harvest of good deeds for God. You hearing this? It's not by living the law that you're able to live for God. Something has to die. Either you're going to spend your life trying to obey all the rules, or you're going to die to that, and you're going to live for God. Paul's equation for how we live for God is crazy and mind-blowing. This is why I say I'm shocked when I read through the book of Galatians. Paul confronts this accusation. He says, you know what? I'd actually be leading people into sin if I told them to start following all the rules again, which is totally different than what we would think. If I told people, all right, you've got Jesus, now you need to start following the rules, I would lead them back into sin. Here's why he would lead them back into sin, because they would begin trusting on their own abilities and not on what Christ has done. Secondly, he explains to them that the Christian life is started, fueled, maintained, and finished by what Christ has done. In Galatians 19 and 20, listen to Paul's own words. For when I tried to keep the law, it condemned me. So I died to the law. I stopped trying to meet all its requirements so that I might live for God. My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul is letting us know that the law is important, and here's why. Because it shows us our desperate need for Jesus. A Christian is not someone who keeps the Ten Commandments. It drives me crazy when I see that bumper sticker on somebody's car. Keep the Ten Commandments. Here's the problem with this, folks. They weren't meant for us to keep. They were meant to break us. They were meant to help us see how desperate we are for what Jesus is going to do and accomplish on our behalf. The law was given so that you and I would be crushed under the weight of it. And here we are trying to be a people in America who live by this law that's killing us. (laughs) 
I don't know if we think this way. This is not a human way of reasoning. Paul said that the law accused, condemned, and broke him. I feel like our problem in America is we've actually swapped the role of the law and the role of Jesus. And what I mean by that is the law accuses, condemns, and breaks. Jesus saves, rescues, and restores. What we have done is we've actually seen Jesus as the accuser, the condemner, and the one who breaks us. I have a feeling that has a lot to do with how the church has treated people who are not in Christ. But Jesus is not the accuser. He is not the condemner, nor is he the breaker. The law does that. But somehow we've looked to the law to save us. I'll just behave more and it'll make me feel better. I'll just do good and it'll make me, it'll appease my conscience. It'll save me from a life misspent. I will do good things. And we're looking to the law to save us, to rescue us and restore us. It doesn't work that way. Jesus In the book of John, John the Baptist announces why Jesus came. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus' own words in John 3, 16, 17, For God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. God sent his Son into the world not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. More than just explaining how the law works, Paul breaks down the idea that good behavior is not how we live a life for God. Paul shockingly states that it is only when he stopped trying to live the law that he was actually free to live for God. And I know this doesn't make sense in our brains. I know this is, for us, we're like, if I can just up my game in good behavior, that's me living for God. When in fact, it could just be us trying to live good so that we feel good. In reality, we're able to live for God when we stop trying and we learn to, as Paul says, die. In Galatians 2.20, I'll just read it again. My life, my old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. As the band comes and closes this morning, I'd love to just look. In these last four verses, Paul uses I, me, and my. He uses I ten times. He uses me and my five times. This is an intensely and extremely personal experience. Paul is saying that I no longer live. My old self has been crucified with Christ Paul expresses a dying to one way of life and being raised to a new way of life. There are some of you in this room that can hide behind the Christ following of others. There are some of you that have chosen in this room to hide behind the Christ following of others. And what I mean by that is Charles Spurgeon addresses this to his church one Sunday, and this is what he says. How many church members shelter themselves behind the vigorous action of the entire community? The church is being increased. The church opens schools. The church builds new houses of prayer. And so the church members flatters himself that he is doing somewhat, whereas that very man may not have either by his contributions or his prayers or his personal teachings done anything at all. 
This is an extremely personal invitation to die. But it's also an extremely personal invitation for the life of Christ to live through you. Paul is taking us in a direction of what it means to be a Christ follower. And a Christ follower is not someone who tries to put into practice Jesus' teachings and do all that Jesus did. A Christ follower is someone who has died to himself so that Christ may live in and through him. I am unable to do all that Jesus did and said, and I'm confessing that, and I'm allowing Christ to live in and through me. Galatians 2.21 says, I do not treat the grace of God as meaningless. For if keeping the law could make us right with God, then there was no need for Christ to die. Paul is coming to a close in his rebuke of Peter, and he closes with a shocking statement. If doing good things, obeying the law, could make us right with God, then the cross is the biggest mistake in the history of the universe. That's a pretty big statement. Paul's not messing around. It's either all Jesus or it's not. There is no middle road. It's either all him or you've put yourself back under the law to be condemned by it. This is shocking. But I'm convinced it's the only way the church is going to be sustained in the coming years. A deeper understanding of what Christ has done will allow us to continue to move forward. There are no amount of pep talks, strap your boots, talks, motivational speeches that you can listen to that will endure, cause perseverance, like knowing the gospel, the real gospel. And in this situation, hypocrisy, fear of man, racism, these things begin to see their end more and more in our own lives the more we understand what Jesus has done fully on our behalf. And so as we close this morning, my, my, I guess my question to you is, has that personal declaration of confession, admittance, dying, and living in Christ been yours? Or do you hide behind the Christ following of others? Don't hide behind someone else. Experience the death in this life that gives life to us in this one and the next. Peter had a, a story that was tough to follow, not easy, made lots of mistakes. And if Peter can fall, so can I. But if Peter can rise, so can I. This morning, um, again, we're just going to open this space over here for you to be prayed for. Uh, some of our elders and jail leaders and their wives and, and men and women will be over there to receive you, to pray for you. Um, but I'm going to be over here this morning. Uh, and as, uh, for the past several weeks, I've just been inviting you to say, my old self has been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. If that's your prayer this morning, if that's a declaration you're seeing, I've got to make, I want to make it, I want to say those things to Jesus, I want to be able to pray with you this morning over there. Um, but don't Don't wait. Don't wait. Lord, thank you for loving us. And I ask that in this time that as we respond in worship that you would show us your love for us. In Jesus' name.